Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Professional welder Shayna Ford used VR training developed by ForgeFX to hone her skills as a welder. The more time that you spend practicing it, that's what separates a good welder from a great welder. VR training can help students like Shayna repeatedly practice specific skills. Virtual reality definitely helps because the more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Explore more stories like Shayna's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. Prince Harry and Meghan Markle are demoted on the royal website and they're ready to move as reports claim that Harry rejected a meeting with Prince William to heal their rift. Mm -hmm. They seem so, you know, almost paranoid. Um, in their concerns about what the press is saying about them. And uh, from, I, I would be concerned, you know, as I'm sure Prince William was, I'd be concerned um, for my sibling in that situation. Plus, King Charles steps out for the first official visit since Queen Elizabeth's death as a new royal portrait is revealed. But I thought it was such a powerful image of the four of them together, clearly showing that they are a team, that they're going to be working together all you know for the same cause which is the monarchy and serving the british people and executive producer and director jamie crawford of the peacock documentary prince andrew banished sits down with us weekly to talk about the shocking new documentary our story in the last five minutes of the film you'll see that collectively our interviewees pretty much discount him from any future important role we've got that plus so much more in today's royally us Hello to our fellow royal lovers and welcome to Royally Us. I'm Christina, that's Christine, and welcome to another big week of royal news. And it seems, you know, the royal family is back to work. It's so strange. We're seeing so many of these little changes. You know, I'm noticing so many little things um, that really tell us Charles is king. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's so true. It's so true. So we have a lot to talk about. But before we get to that, let's see what you guys had to say about last week's show. Kicking it off with Marie 186 says Harry tried to manipulate his grandmother, Queen Elizabeth II, and she wanted nothing to do with it. The queen was protected by other members of the family. It tells a lot about his character and personality. Um, this was, of course, talking about Valentine Lowe's book, saying that Prince Harry wanted to have this meeting with the queen and was kind of going um, around about different avenues to try to secure that meeting. But it um, nevertheless, it didn't happen. Yeah, it's I'm really interested to see this Valentine Lowe book come out to see more of these stories um, sort of un unfold, uh, because so many of them were really interesting things we've kind of heard about before. And now we're just hearing in more detail. Definitely. All right. Well, Melissa says bullying in England is bullying in America. It really irritates me to hear people try to suggest that cultural differences justify Megan's petulant behavior. A lot of people took issue with this um, last week, um, say, you know, saying that, you know, can't make excuses for bullying um, anywhere 
which is true. They yeah. really shouldn't. And I do, you know, I am an American living in the UK. Mm-hmm. And so there are so many cultural differences. There are so many nuances. But I do agree that a lot of the behavior probably would have been inappropriate on in either country, you know, around the world. And I think the most interesting thing is that um, Jason Nauf, who sort of sent mm-hmm. that initial bullying email to HR, he was an American. Right. So yeah, something about that maybe doesn't add up. Definitely. All right. Before we get into the news of the week, we are so excited to have this exclusive announcement. I'm so excited because, you know, a friend of our show, Christopher Anderson, he is a best-selling author and he is coming out with a brand new book called The King, The Life of Charles III. It comes out on November 1st. And of course, he's been covering the royal families for almost 50 years. And the last five years, he has been working on The King. Now, this is the first biography of Charles since he became monarch and an authoritative chronicle of his life. It goes all the way from boyhood to his marriage to Princess Diana to, of course, her tragic death to his marriage to Queen Consort Camilla and of course explores the relationship that he has with William, Harry and their wives. Um, It is said to provide an balanced but an unvarnished look into the life of the new sovereign, the new monarch. We are so excited. Of course, like I said, the king, the life of Charles III comes out on November 1st and we will of course be sitting down with Christopher to chat all about it. All right, well, let's get into our royal roundup and kick it off with King Charles and uh, Queen Consort Camilla, who stepped out in Scotland for the first time since Queen Elizabeth's funeral. They arrived at Dunfermline. Did I say that correctly? Dunfermline? Yes. (laughs) To celebrate its new position as Scotland's latest city. The town was given city status, one of a number of one of a number around the UK as part of the com- commemorations for the late Queen's Platinum Jubilee. While there, he spoke of Queen Elizabeth's deep love for Scotland. So take a look at this. Now, of course, we gather to celebrate this great occasion, but also to commemorate the life of Her Late Majesty, whose deep love for Scotland was one of the foundations of her life. Yeah, like we said, back to business, um, heading to Scotland. Obviously, this was a near and dear to Queen Elizabeth's heart. Um, he spoke, he met with a lot of different people. He even took um, a joke about his pen snafu uh, recently. So it <laughs> uh, seems like they're getting back to work. I, I love that he has a good sense of humor, but I do think there's a lot of people who want that pen video <laughs> to disappear. Yes. Um, but yes, it was it was great to see them. I love that Scotland was sort of one of their first stops. Um, the country is so important to the royal family. Mm-hmm. So it was great to see them. I mean, the crowds were incredible. I mean, I think it wasn't even announced until like that morning. And there were so many people who had come out to see them. Interesting. Yeah, everybody wants to, to take a, a, a glimpse at the new king. All right. Well, Buckingham Palace announced that King Charles will host his first state dinner in November. The president of South Africa, Cyril Ramaphosa, and his wife will be in the UK from November 22nd um, to the 24th. Although the itinerary has not been released, it is likely that the state banquet, of course, will take place at Buckingham Palace. Um, That will be the centerpiece of the visit. Prince William and Princess Kate um, will take a central role in helping host the South African leader and his businesswoman wife um, over the, the course of the three days. Of course, when state dinners come out, so do the royal jewels, so do the tiaras, so do the the high fashion. So this will definitely be a treat for us to look at. It really, there's very few tiara events left. You have the state dinners or the diplomatic receptions. And because of COVID, the, they've all been canceled. So right. this is sort of our first big tiara event um, for the British royal family in a while. Mm-hmm. 
And also it's, you know, to mark the Princess of Wales's new position, we might be able to see some a bigger tiara or more iconic tiara, something different, something more exciting, sort of to match her new stature. So it's very it actually is very exciting. I think a lot of people were like, why is this state visit sounds very political? Why is this interesting? It's interesting because there's tiaras involved. Yes. We, we love a good tiara moment. Definitely. <laughs> um, well, the, uh, the Royals actually debuted a new portrait of King Charles Camilla and the Prince and Princess of Wales showing the four royals side by side in all black mourning clothes. Um, It was taken at Buckingham Palace on the night before Queen Elizabeth's funeral on September 18th. Um, Of course, that was the night they hosted world leaders who traveled to London for the funeral at a reception at Buckingham Palace. I mean... Is this the new Fab Four, I guess? a <laughs> <laughs> strange shift from, you know, the Fab Four, including Meghan and Harry, who are very young and vibrant, to sort of Charles and Camilla, who are incredible. I really admire them, but I wouldn't call them young and vibrant. Right. <laughs> but I thought it was such a powerful image of the four of them together, clearly showing that they are a team, that they're mm-hmm. going to be working together, all, you know, for the same cause, which is the monarchy and serving the British people. Yeah, definitely. All right. Well, Queen Elizabeth's cause of death has been revealed. And according to a document published by the National Records of Scotland, the Queen died of old age. Uh, Of course, she died at the age of 96 on September 8th at 310 p.m. local time, which was interesting because this was several hours before it was made public to um, to the press, to the media. Um, So I guess they wanted to give enough time for family members to arrive at Balmoral. And um, then they made the, the announcement public. But as we saw, this was um, even though she died of old age, this was pretty sudden because everybody raced there. Nobody was expecting this to happen. Yes, I think it was um, very sudden. You know, we all saw the photos a few days earlier where she sort of looked, you know, energetic and sprightly for her age. Mm -hmm. So the fact that everyone rushed, I mean, Charles wasn't even there. You know, Princess Anne was really the only one by her side the entire day. Um, it must have been quite shocking. I do love that the reason was old age. Prince Philip was, um, his cause of death was exactly the same at 99. And interestingly, uh, the Queen Mother, who died you know, several years ago, was 102, and she died of very old age. <laughs> so I wonder what what is the difference between old age and very old age since you know Prince Philip was 99 and the Queen Mother was 102. Right. Is it 100? Is that the more? Say, is the 100 the cutoff? <laughs> Um, but yes, I think it's a very respectful um, way to describe the cause of death. Obviously, something else may have happened. But as far as the public needs to know for uh, their well-respected monarch, that's the answer. Definitely. And, um, you know, of course, thousands of thousands of people have been mourning um, the queen throughout the world. And, you know, they wanted to send letters in remembrance. And so this was interesting. So the Buckingham Palace has received over 50,000 letters and messages of condolence, including 6,500 in just one day following the queen's funeral. Um, So prior to her death, the palace expected up to a thousand letters each week from members of the public. Um, with various uh, questions or messages of good wishes. So um, new images were released from Buckingham Palace showing everybody kind of sorting through these letters that were sent to King Charles, uh, Queen Camilla and other members of the royal family. But yeah, that's a that's a lot of letters to go through. I, unbelievable. And that doesn't include any of the letters that were um, left in the floral tributes, which I think were being saved to be shared with members of the royal family. I can't imagine sifting through all of those. It must be hugely emotional 
Uh, because, you know, e- even the palace staff, even if they didn't work directly with the queen, they still feel very much part of the team. It must mm-hmm. be so emotional to have to read through those. Almost all of them will receive a response eventually. I think it'll take quite a, quite a while. Quite a um, while. But uh, it must be overwhelming, just the piles and piles of heartfelt letters. Uh, 100%. Um, well, of course, like we said, things are going to be moving around and shifting in the next coming weeks, months, years. And uh, one of the first things they did was move some things around on the royal website. So Prince Harry and Meghan Markle were demoted on the royal website. Um, the royal family page has the Duke and Duchess of Sussex's biographies listed at the bottom. They are just above Prince Andrew, who was moved to the very last spot on the list. Um, the change comes amid several updates on the website, of course, um, after the Queen's death, along with removing the Queen from the lineup of living royals. The official site also altered titles and the order in which family members appear. A lot of people took um, issue with this, as always, but um, it just seems like they're just kind of cleaning things up and moving things around. And this is the the new order. Definitely. I, I saw a comment that this was done simply to reflect the fact that they're non-working royals. You know, they really don't have any plans to be a part of the royal family. Um, so they were sort of shifted down to the bottom because there's still a public interest in them, but they aren't really a part of the working royal family. I think we're going to see lots of little shifts like this, not necessarily in relation to Meghan and Harry, but just little changes that sort of show the new hierarchy, the new pecking order, if you will. Definitely. Yes. Probably much to do about nothing, but you know, we always got, we always got to get uh, Harry and Meghan in the headline. And so let's talk about them and spill some royalty. Like we mentioned at the top, a lot of people have been talking about Valentine Lowe's new book and a lot of excerpts and revelations have been coming forward, including this um, story that Prince William actually tried to salvage his relationship with Prince Harry after he, of course, gave that ITV interview a, uh, a few years back talking about their rift. Um, William and Kate saw the interview and felt uh, allegedly felt that it was a deliberate attempt to knock them out of the headlines since they were on a tour of Pakistan. Um, he allegedly tried to set up a meeting with Harry, but soon after agreeing, Harry had a change of heart and rejected the offer because he felt like this was going to be leaked to the press. The book alleges Harry was so concerned that William's team would leak the visit to the press that he would rather they did not come than risk it getting into the papers. Like we said, we don't know if this is 100% true. This is just uh, what the book is stating. But of course, that interview got a lot of people talking. And that's the first time we ever heard anybody talk about this rift in public. Definitely. I mean, I think that there's been um, a lot of stories that indicate that Harry is so concerned with Mm -hmm. stories leaking to the press or what the press is saying or, you know, what's being reported about him in the press or how he might appear. And that's really been a consistent um, theme with a lot of these stories. Even Harry sort of talking about himself, Megan talking about herself in the podcast, Mariah Carey saying, what have you heard about me? Mm -hmm. They seem so, you know, almost paranoid um, in their concerns about what the press is saying about them. And uh, I I would be concerned, you know, as I'm sure... Prince William was, I'd be concerned um, for my sibling in that situation. Right. Yeah, no, definitely. Of course. And like you said, it seems like it's like all consuming about what the press is saying about them and the rumors that are going around, what's true, what's false. And it seems like they want to have this squeaky clean image. But the more that stuff that comes out about them, it kind of um, (laughs) uh, it kind of goes against everything that they want to kind of portray. But 
Um, I don't know, but this is interesting as well. So reports have surfaced that uh, Meghan and Harry, um, you know, they've already purchased this $15 million home in Montecito. It seems like they were really happy there, but it seems like they are shopping for a very private estate in Hope Ranch um, in California um, and that they have determined that this Montecito mansion does not properly accommodate them. Not not sure how it doesn't probably ac- properly accommodate them. I'm sure it's a it's a, a lovely estate, but um, I don't know. Maybe they want more privacy. Maybe they're looking for something a little bit bigger. Maybe they don't like their neighbors. We don't know. <laughs> you know, there has been a lot of discussion about, you know, lots of um, security concerns and sort of calls to the police about, you know, lots and lots of concerns, I think, over their safety and privacy. But also that neighborhood is so full of other celebrities that maybe it is really easy for, you know, paparazzi to be wandering around. You know, is it sort of a tourist desk? You know, are there people sort of wandering around hoping to catch a glimpse and they just feel a bit unsafe and Mm -hmm. kind of in that fishbowl? I think that this new house that they might be shopping for could be a bit more um, isolated, you know, not as close to as many big celebrities and just giving them a bit more privacy yeah but then you got to argue then maybe you should move out of california and go somewhere a little bit more remote i don't know i don't know i don't know but like if you want that ultra private life maybe california is not the place for it i don't know definitely and they do travel a lot for what they you know they travel in new york to for the u.n they were just in the uk and in germany they do travel a lot it's not like they couldn't live somewhere you know much more remote um because you are completely correct california especially that area is like i said kind of a fishbowl like everywhere you look you're sort of wondering is that a celebrity are you famous (laughs) right Um, yeah so yeah that's a that's a really good point there's also lots of other places in california that are you know significantly more private if they really wanted to stay in the country or in the in that state um, they have lots of options. They do. They have so lots we, of options. A big yeah, tank, a big bank account. I'm sure they can yeah, figure right. it out. <laughs> um, well, let's get into this. So there is a brand new documentary on Peacock, which premieres uh, premiered on October 5th, and it's all about Prince Andrew. It's called Prince Andrew Banished. Kind of takes a look back at his early life. Of course, um, his involvement with uh, Jeffrey Epstein and where he goes from here. So we actually spoke to Jamie Crawford. He is the director and executive producer of the new Peacock documentary to talk all about it. So take a look. Congratulations on the documentary. I watched it. It is fascinating and truly intriguing. What made you want to create this documentary about Prince Andrew? Well, I think one of the fascinating things is that we've been um, peppered with these headlines about the Andrew story, right? For the last three, four, five years. And the, and the story we think we know of Andrew's has sort of suddenly popped up in the press, but we suspected that there was a much longer trajectory to it, right? It doesn't just happen overnight. And when we took the lid off and started to dive into Andrew's backstory, we discovered this really kind of fascinating life arc that we wanted to explore further. And unfortunately, Peacock did too. Yeah. I mean, what fascinated you the most about his backstory? I think what was what was really interesting is that we have baked into our heads now the image of a sort of 60-something-year-old Andrew and his recent fall from grace. But 
it was truly incredible to see this scale and fervor of that footage of him as a sort of 20 something and a national hero, like a genuine national hero after the Falklands. Mm-hmm. Falklands for the UK was, was sort of the great conflict in a way since the second world war. And he came home to a, a hero's welcome. And it was a very, very starkly different Andrew that we saw at that age. Yeah. I mean, what would you kind of pinpoint his the start of like the decline of Prince Andrew? What would you say like was that like almost turning point moment for him? I think in a way it's actually there isn't a single moment, mm, um, yeah. but it seems to have been it's it's like a trickle effect, isn't it? You most of us aspire to a life where we get a job and we get a promotion and we kind of go up in the world. That's our general trajectory. Um, but it was Tina Brown who kind of underlined the point that for Prince Andrew, he started as a teenager, 20 something and second in line to the throne. He was the guy who was going to be king mm-hmm. and head of the Commonwealth if Prince Charles, for whatever reason, didn't make it. Mm-hmm. Um, but from there, he's been gradually knocked down the pecking order to ninth where he is today uh, and become somebody who's less and less important in their job in inverted commas. Mm-hmm. And I think it's really fascinating to sort of understand that and it makes you look at his trajectory in a different light right and i mean he may have been bumped down the pecking order but he was also the favorite in the queen's eyes i mean why do you think that he was maybe not treated differently but held in such regards in her eyes i guess I mean, this is, yeah, this is what we were told by, by a lot of people. And I think actually the thing that I hadn't really understood or, or ever kind of clocked previously is the huge age gap between right. yeah. children mm-hmm. yeah, that, that Prince Andrew and, and Edward after him were seen as her second family. Mm-hmm. And that she plowed a huge amount of energy into being their mum and being around and raising them and having them close to her. And, and I think that that probably, then echoed echoed through the rest of their lives. And as is reported, he was said to be sort of physically very close to her Mm -hmm. uh, right through her old age as well. Right. And, you know, he was lived this life of privilege, of entitlement, and nobody could really say no to him. I mean, he kind of bypassed security when he had, you know, visitors coming in and things like that. I mean, obviously, you know why he lives the life of entitlement, but like how extreme did he take that? quite a long way according yeah. <laughs> to what we were told in the in, in the interviews that we were given you know that the the lot of a documentary maker is that you can only ever hear the story of the people who will sit down and tell one mm-hmm. tell it to yeah. you um but i think it was really enlightening those who as you would have seen yourself we had on the one hand the journalists who have not just sort of dabbled in the royal story but covered it for for decades and also those people who worked within the crown operation and therefore were alongside him um all day every day in their professional capacity and it was um it was pretty eye-opening some of the stories they told us. Yeah, especially the teddy bears, how he had like 40 teddy bears lined up on his bed. That would, that like stood out to me. <laughs> remarkable. It really is. I mean, then, I mean, this also dives into his relationship, of course, with Jeffrey Epstein. And, you know, this is definitely a, a dark, a dark story, but he was very much immersed in his life. I mean, Jeffrey even paid off some of his debts. So they were a very close had a very close friendship. As we understand it, certainly closer than he was um, suggesting in his interview mm-hmm. mate list, for sure. Yeah. yeah. I mean, when you watched that interview of him, what was your initial reaction? 
I mean, much like much like the, the, the interviewees in the dark, my jaw hit the floor. I mean, yeah. it's just the, the um, in, inability to comprehend or factor in other people's suffering or situations and only think of his... Um, he seemed to be very self-focused. Right, yes. <laughs> very focused on his own um, path, I would say. Yeah, I mean, to stepping back on it, I mean, how monumental is this story and how much did it really shake the monarchy? Because, you know, Queen Elizabeth had to strip him of his HRH titles. He, you know, no longer a working member of the royal family. Like, what is the magnitude, you know, in history of Prince Andrew's, uh, you know, interactions with uh, Jeffrey Epstein? I think it's... I think in a way it, the reason that it is, that it has reverberated so strongly is because it's contemporary, Mm -hmm. right? Look back. I mean, it's not really possible to compare it historically because if you look back 200 years, you know, the kinds of behavior that he's accused of is a whole different, it's a whole different ballgame, a whole different society, but we live in a very different world. And not only in terms of the Me Too movement and all those kinds of things, but also as a nation in how we perceive the Royal family and, and the the taxpayers' money that goes into funding their operation and this kind of thing, and that comes with certain expectations. And I think, in a way, it was more that it's it, it's as much the sort of contemporary cultural shift that has made his story particularly rise rise to the top and 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 become so extraordinary. And then, of course, you know, being associated with Jeffrey Epstein. It's 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 almost instantaneously game over. Right. I mean, what do you why do you think Jelaine has remained silent so far? I mean, just in your opinion. Extremely good question. Yeah. Extremely good question. <laughs> um that I would imagine that there is some calculation that goes on, right? About mm-hmm. your loyalty to your friends on the one hand and your personal predicaments on the other. And only she can weigh those two things up and decide what to do with them. Mm-hmm. I mean, you say, you know, I believe one of the lawyers that uh, you speak to in the documentary says that Prince Andrew should still be nervous about all this. Is that, and do you agree with that? Um, that's what he told us. So mm-hmm. we will, I mean, only time will tell. Yeah. Only time will tell. I mean, when people watch this documentary, what are you hoping that they take away? What, uh, what are you hoping they learn um, watching this documentary? I think what's really interesting about it is particularly as a, as a, as a Brit British filmmaker living in the U S and working here, what we wanted to try and do was dig, was get behind the headlines really Mm -hmm. and try to understand some of the backstory that show how people are products of their, of their life and their sort of lifetime of Mm -hmm. choices. Um, And also just to try and, uh, through osmosis, not by kind of telling you it, but showing you it, mm-hmm. that the dynamic that ex- has always existed and continues to exist between the press and the public and the royal family. It's mm-hmm. kind of a complicated triangular relationship. Um, and it's going to be really fascinating, I think, to see how, to see where it goes from here. Yeah, I was going to say, where do you think Andrew fits in this new monarchy, if he does at all? Collectively, um, you know, the, in the last five, that's the, the, the question that we had um, mm-hmm. at the end of our story and in the last five minutes of the film, you'll see that collectively our interviewees pretty much discount him from any future important role. Mm-hmm. But I think, you know, regardless of exactly what happens to him, for a long time there have been indications that the future of the monarchy is a slimmed down monarchy mm-hmm. focused on the direct line of succession. So regardless of what he's, 
sort of of his personal story in the last couple of years, I suspect that he was always going to be a more of a fringe player in the future. Yeah, definitely um, an interesting watch. And, you know, it just kind of proves that just Prince Andrew lived this elite um, privileged life and he really thought nothing would ever happen to him. Yeah, I think that I even you even see that in his character in The Crown and The Crown is so fictionalized. But I thought the way that they portrayed young Prince Andrew as sort of being kind of privileged um, was really well done. Yeah, definitely. All right. Well, let's move on to our pine sized palace and Princess Kate and Prince William's three children are all too familiar with their parents engagement photos. And they had an unexpected reaction to the throwback snaps, uh, throwback pictures, uh, seeing them for the first time during a walkabout in Wales. Kate was gifted a photo from their engagement and she said, William and I always laugh about this. Although we've been married for 11 years, we've been together for double that. So it's extraordinary. The children look back at the photos and say, mommy, you look so young. <laughs> oh, but she hasn't aged. She really hasn't. These side by side photos of like their engagement photos with the recent um, portrait with um, King Charles and Queen Camilla. She hasn't changed at all. I had to laugh at this. I've seen her in, in person as well. She looks just as young. I think she she even looks even younger in person. So I laughed at this because I was like, how old could these pictures be? You look exactly the same. Exactly. <laughs> but it, you always have to count on kids to keep you in check. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, yeah. no matter how good you look, you'll be like, mommy, you look really old. You're like, thanks. I know. <laughs> yeah, definitely. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Well, Christine, um, thank you so much for running down all things Royals with me, as always. Yes, this was kind of a fun week. Lots of change, lots of signs of the new times. But it's nice to get into it. Definitely. And of course, we'd love to hear what you guys have to say. So keep it coming in the comments and keep subscribing and we'll see you guys next week.